Good morning, church. My name is Al. I'm not really a visitor, um, although I feel like one because it's been so long since I've been here. I used to work here, for those of you new people. I met some of you today, and uh, I, was, I saw uh, Tucker Deaton, and he said, we, we're here now. And I said, well, I'm not. So uh, I'm having to meet everybody again for the first time. Uh, our uh, Mike and those guys, they're like the mafia. I think I'm out, and they keep pulling me back in. And uh, so here I am before you today. Let me tell you about the uh, marriage retreat. That's coming up the uh, weekend of February 12th uh, through 14th, uh, which is Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, we've had some wonderful times up there, some great blessings up at Lake DeGray. This year, our theme is Battle Cry, which may sound like your marriage, right? A lot of battling, a lot of crying. If that's the case, you need to come because uh, we got a lot to tell you. This is actually about a rallying cry for all of us to be victorious in our marriages. And to do that, we need one another. Amen. So we need you to think about coming, especially if you've never come before. And you got to sign up quick because I can guarantee it will fill up fast. It's up in Lake DeGray, Arkansas. That weekend is $375 for two nights there. It's a beautiful place. Lunch and dinner is included during the retreat. And this year, to make your value even more, uh, we're going to, Lisa and I are going to sign and give each couple there a hot off the press D.C., Duck Commander Devotional for Couples, which we uh, have written and will be released that week. So uh, that alone is worth $375, uh, uh, especially on eBay if you get it early. So once you guys think about that, be a table set up in the back today, the next few weeks. For those of you watching online, of course, I know they're going to be signing up quickly. So if you're here at WFR and you want to go and you have a tradition of going or maybe you want to go, get signed up. Uh, first 60 that pay are in, so we want you guys signed up. Uh, you know, I broke out one of my old traditions today. Those of you know that have been here a while, that after during the LSU football season, I didn't like to talk a lot about games afterwards, so I would let my clothes do the talking for me. Now, if LSU won, I wore something bright, purple, gold, exciting. If they lost, I wore something more drab. I called it my sackcloth and ashes, so in the back of my closet, I found my old black suit, to honor the debacle that was a football game last night. <laughs> and, um, but i got to tell you, I made a decision a few years ago after I left the ministry here that I was not going to let teenage boys dictate my mood <laughs> for more than four hours. So <laughs> hour after game time, we've moved on. Those of you out on the ledge, come on back in. It's all going to be okay. we got Arkansas this week, so it's all right. Now, as we... Um, as we look forward today, uh, I can't help but, of course, look backward because this place, um, White's Ferry Road, right here where North 7th meets White's Ferry Road, uh, has been a special place to me and to my family for over 40 years. It was actually 41 years ago uh, in, the, uh, in the summer of 1974 uh, when a little broken family, uh, Kay Robertson and her three sons, came to West Monroe split up from her husband, uh, not knowing what the future would hold, and we literally had nothing. And this church embraced us. They, they loved us. They helped us get a little apartment right up the street. Uh, and they were here to welcome when my dad, uh, Phil Robertson, uh, finally showed up ready to submit his life to Christ. One William H. Smith sat down with him for three straight nights, as I recall, and shared the good news of Christ with him. And that third night, we went right over here to the fellowship center that used to have a baptistry in there. And with, through tears, three young boys and a wife 
watched literally their lives and destiny change because their patriarch was now a son of God. That changed our lives forever. OCS was a brand new school. It was about to start uh, that fall over at Forsyth. And they hired dad to be a teacher and a coach. And they were taking quite a chance because he was quite a renegade. And he was a brand new dripping wet, wet Christian. And yet they brought him in. It came here in 1975. You remember that, Bill? And this church bill, not this one, but the one over there, uh, and then this as it was built later, housed Washtenaw Christian School for a year. And that was a blessing to me and to Jace, who had an opportunity to meet some great people that we still know to this very day. You see, God had a plan for us that we didn't even know he had. And he used this church to be a part of that. And that's the legacy that I bring by now being a part of our leadership. I read a, uh, a recently a book uh, by a pastor from Houston named Yung Chai, which is, uh, he's a doctor, and he wrote a wonderful book about house churches. And so we've been talking about a relaunch of our house church ministry here. And so I'd heard about this guy, and so I read it. And he has some wonderful stuff about groups, but he said something that really got my attention and sort of the basis for what I'm going to share with you this morning Dr. Chai said that a church has to reevaluate structure and methods and compare itself to the biblical church about every 30 years. He said, why 30 years, you ask? Because every 30 years, a new generation emerges out of a church to then have their vision and their leadership and their dreams become a part of the narrative of how that church goes forward. And it really struck me because I thought about our church here at Weiss Ferry Road and we're right, we're two years away from the 60-year mark of our church. And as I look back and over the course of the almost now 60 years that have been here, it's amazing to see what God has done. And then he's led us up now to this new jumping off place of what we're going to be for the next 30 years. And I can't tell you how excited I am to be here and to be a part of it. In 1958, when a group decided to come here and plant a church out in this area... The White's Ferry Road Church of Christ. Show that next picture. There she is. Um, that's the, the, the color version that's a little bit later than when it first began. But there were a lot of things that were happening here. There were local campaigns and there were crusades. There was a local TV show called Let the Bible Speak that was telling our area about the good news of Christ. There was the White's Ferry Road School of Biblical Studies that began in 1969. There was World Radio. There was We Care. There was Amen. There was Relief Ministry. All those came out of the heart and vision that came straight out of Acts chapter 1. That we would preach the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the ends of the earth. This church bought that vision. They, of course, also had a lot of local outreach. And that included pink buses. How many of you ever rode on one of the pink buses here? There's about... About 12 of you left. Uh, I was on one of those pink buses, and I rode right down, and Captain uh, Ricky Hayes was, was my captain. And we did puppets, and we sang, and we went all over the neighborhoods and picked up kids, and we brought them right here on the joy bus. There was a sign that you see, uh, Church of Christ uh, meets here. And for years, when I was a kid, or actually a teenager, the E, the last E fell off, and it said, Church of Christ meets her. Um <laughs> For years, I wanted to meet her. I didn't know who she is. She, what do we do? I thought it was a ploy, you know, to get people to come in and figure out who she was. A lot of great things happened in those first 30 years. Ironically, in 1988, at the 30-year mark, without me really realizing it, was the very year that Jason and I came to the school of preaching here and entered into that. 
See, we didn't know it, but God was cultivating us to be that next wave and generation of leadership and vision and dreams because that's what he does. And even if you don't know it at the time, he knows what he's doing. During the period of time from 1988 until this very day, local evangelism is still very important. A lot of you are here because someone asked you to be here or you came in through a group. Worldwide outreach is still a part of our DNA, but small groups and worship style changes and a lot of things happened during that period of time. And we've changed. Support groups were introduced that started dealing with real life issues like divorce and death and addiction. And even the phenomenon of reality television has found its way to Weiss Ferry Road because one of its families found its way in a national spotlight. But, you know, God knew about that, too, didn't he? A lot of renovations were made. The very building you're sitting in, show that next slide, uh, came to be uh, during this period of time in the late 70s before we relaunched. And you see that and you look at it and you can tell the Howards had something to do with it because it looked like a super saver when they built it. They helped us build that, which praise God for that, because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a place to sit today or to send our kids to. And what a vision that people had. And now show the next one. And now here we are, uh, renovated, looking a little bit nicer, but wondering where do we go from here? Because God has done great things for the last 58 years, but he's got more great things to do. And so we're still dreaming and we're still having vision that was given to us by those leaders before us. And today we talk about White's Ferry Road not just being a place that intersects close here uh, to the creek and, and where North 7th and White's Ferry Road meet, but a place where people worship and are connected to family and want to help others find rescue in Christ. See, WFR has taken on a whole new meaning through the years. And it's because of all the great work that has been done to lead us to this point. Our mission statement is simple. We are a group of believers who love God, who love others, and who do what? Oh, man, six people know it. We've got to do it again. Who share Jesus. We are people who loves God, say it with me, love others, and shares Jesus. You've got to get that one rolling right off the tongue. Because that's who we are. Mike beautifully laid out our identity last week. That defines us. The gospel message has been the core and center of this church since its inception. It's the reason we're still here. It's the reason we're still growing. Because we've got to have an anchor in something. And that anchor needs to be in the gospel and the good news story of Christ. Another part of that, the second part of that, is not only just the good news, but also the entire word of God. Every scripture is God-breathed. And as we are here as a church, we believe that in the inerrancy of those scriptures, and we're going to live by that code, and we're going to lead by that code. And we want that to go to the next 30 years. There are some things that need to never change about a church. Those are two of them. But methods, ideas, descriptions will change, and they're changing now. There are three things I want to share with you today about our vision, and it's based in the Word of God, and that's always where we want our vision to be based in. The first one is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, there's none left for anybody else, right? Jesus has it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're going to start at the end and talk about rescue first, because that's our great commission. This is that sharing Jesus part of who we are as a church. 
Now, the primary tool of the disciples in their day was to use the witness that they had. They witnessed Jesus' life, his three-year ministry as he called them in to follow him. They witnessed his death on a cross, and it was brutal. And when it happened, they scattered like a covey of quail. But they were all gathered back together again when that same Jesus came out of that tomb three days later and appeared to them. And they said, you know what? Our lives have now changed forever. And because of that, we have the witness to tell of something awesome and wonderful. And that was the story of Christ. And those men went to their deaths proclaiming that Jesus. That shows you how powerful the witness of Christ is. And guess what? That's our main tool today as well. It's our witness. It's our witness of life change. In fact, in Revelation 12:10, John said, You know how you overcome the evil one? By the blood of the Lamb. There's the gospel. The Christ. By the word of your testimony, that's where your story intersects with his story. That's the power of it. And that you would not love life so much that you would shrink back from death itself. You know how you're going to go to your death, if that's what it takes, to be martyred as a son or daughter of God? Because you know your story intersected with Christ's story and you're going to live eternally. That's the only way you would ever do it. It's the only way I would ever do it. We have a witness to tell. So what's our vision in terms of rescuing others? Well, first of all, we've got to continue to meet people where they hurt and where they live. We've got to be real. I mean, I hear it all the time about us, and I'm glad because that's a great compliment. It feels real. It feels authentic. It should be. Let me just tell you something, and, and this doesn't describe our church, but in large, much of the church out there, much of Christ's body, has gone through now in the last probably 40 or 50 years this idea that when you come in, leave your problems and all the stuff we don't want to deal with outside. Because when you come in here, we want it to be polished and good, and we don't want to know all this stuff. Hey, nobody got time for that up in here. That's the mindset that's been going on. And we've missed it. Therefore, a culture has continued off a cliff because they don't, have, they don't think that Christianity has any authenticity to it. They don't think it's real. They don't think it applies to them and where they are. And so, therefore, they don't listen to us. Mac Owen has one of my favorite quotes when he was here. He said, God loves you as you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you there. We want to be someplace where God loves us and wants us to be saved and then come to transformation where our lives are changed forever. You see, it doesn't do any good to have a story Unless the story intersects with Christ's story. Because that's where the powerful transformation takes place. It's a concept known as discipleship. It's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. I love this idea of who's your one. Who are you and who am I in 2016 going to take the time and effort to put into someone else's life to help them be transformed? We need to be thinking and praying about who that person is going to be. And after that, another one. And after that, another one. Because someone took time to help transform you or you wouldn't be here. Therefore, we need to pass that forward and move it forward. Of course, we see all the different kinds of ways we've done that through our Celebrate Recovery, which deals with addictions and a lot of other things. Divorce care. Divorce and its terrible uh, aftermath of what it leaves. We have trouble marriages. We say, you know what, we're going to come up with a re-engaged concept that we want marriages to be strengthened. And we want to know and we want to help people. We'll have new dreams and new groups. Because you know what? Satan hadn't run out of ways to attack our society. We have chronic poverty. We have same-sex attraction. We have gender confusion. We've got all these things now that are out here percolating in our culture because Satan is percolating it. And he's saying there are no answers for that. There's no absolute for that. 
Whatever tactic or sin that Satan is using to destroy, we want to use the saving, grace-filled message of Christ to transform and to change that. That's what the Great Commission is all about. And the Great Commission in 2015 is to continue to be where people hurt and where they live. Second thing, we need to spread our white Pharaoh DNA. I love Jace to have a good background of DNA because I'm talking about now a spiritual DNA. There is a physical DNA that he described that is from God. There's also a spiritual DNA that God puts in a church and a group of spirit-filled people, and that DNA needs to go out. I mean, it needs to impact people. And not just here in our Jerusalem, but in Judea, in the Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. You know how we're going to do that? We're going to plant house churches, and we're going to plant churches around this world. It can happen from right here. Because of a TV show, and a lot of people knowing who one family is, they now know about our forever family. And so thousands of people are looking in right now as I'm speaking from all over the globe to hear what we have to say. And to you people out there, we want you to know, we want you to say what we're saying. We want that DNA to go out. And to do that, we're going to have to plant and we're going to have to grow. It's a family right here, the Stewarts, wonderful family that I met last year that came to know Christ here because of a television show. They were already moving this way because Scott's from Louisiana, so they came here. But you know what they had? They could do here, there. They were from Boston. There's people from all over the globe. But we have to get the vision of what it's going to take to plant house churches and churches there. You think Boston, Massachusetts could use a little WFR DNA in it? I think a lot of people in a lot of places around the world could do it. Number three. We need to empower our world partners. That's part of our vision around the world with teaching and support and presence. These three men that stood before us five minutes ago that we prayed for, they're going to travel to Asia, and they're going to have a ministry of presence and teaching and spreading what we do here to that part of the world. And there are partners waiting there to do it with them. And that partnership didn't come overnight. That came through years of work through our radio and relief and all the great things that happened that God brought people together. Some of the greatest warriors I know in the kingdom are spread out across the globe ready for us to help lead them. It's exciting. And it's fun to be alive at this moment, to be able to take those dreams and go forward. Bill, is it not exciting to look back over all those years and partnerships and now know that God is doing it? What an excitement we have. That's the Great Commission, and that's our first vision. I might get fired up and preach about this thing if you don't mess around with me. Second thing is the greater community. Because if we're going to have the Great Commission, that's going to create something. Now, look, when Jesus came here, he brought something new and unique. The Jewish model up until this point had been the idea about me keeping law and trying to hold on to it myself. And I got my little family here, but I'm not really interacting with anybody else other than that. And then you got the temple and it's, you know, in the center with only the high priest. And then there's this idea about Yahweh not being approachable. And it was much more built on fear than on family. But Jesus came along and said something different. John chapter 13 and verse 34 A new command I give you, talking to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When he says it three times, you better listen. Loving one another is now going to be the the key and the uniqueness of community. You see that in the early church in Acts chapter 2 as well as Acts chapter 4. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were one in heart and mind. 
that Greek word there, koinonia, is the idea that love was motivating them to do whatever it took to stay together as a community. That was new. Now we realize that God is our Father. Now look, He's still just, and He still disciplines. Don't get the idea like well, it's somehow because He's viewed differently than Yahweh that He won't straighten you out and jar your preserves when they need to be done. He will. He loves you enough to do it. And that's why you do that as a father. You love. Jesus is our brother. He's our Lord and Savior, but he's our brother. That's why he describes himself. He sent his Holy Spirit as a counselor and a guide to live right here in us. It doesn't get more intimate than that. I don't know if Bill's the one that coined the phrase, but he's the first one I heard it from. He called us a forever family. And I love that. I've been using it ever since. And claiming it as my own, Bill, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) Forever family. That's what we are. I mean, that's why we're brought together. And it's in love. So what does that mean for our vision when it comes to being a greater community? Number one, we have to connect to God and to one another. And that's all I'm going to say about that because Trent's going to preach a whole sermon on that next week. I saw him this morning. He was chomping at the bit to get it out there. So we're going to let him do that. A connection to God and to one another. Number two, a commitment to loving people. And I mean all people. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, just be totally honest with you. I was here 22 years I made an effort to love everybody, but there are some people I just don't like. It's true. You say, well, wait a minute, Alan, you've got to like everybody. The Bible never tells me I've got to like everybody, but it does say I have to love everybody. And I love people I don't like. You know why? Because I want them to know what I know about Christ. I watch television and I see people that I don't like very much, but you know what? I love them. I want them to know about Christ. That has to be my motivation. The only one that's ever going to do it, whether you care about what happens to them or not, is love. Paul put it this way in First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Think about that. Apostle Paul, a lifetime bachelor, just called himself a nursing mother. Why? Because he cared for people. Because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And guess what? That's where it starts getting really hard. How hard is it going to be, Paul? Well, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship and work night and day, that sounds pretty tough. Why did all that happen? Because they loved them. And that's how much we got to love people. That's going to put us out. That's going to put us out of our comfort zone. But that's what we've been called to do. I'm going to give you a little secret here today. Not that many people love you or care about you. They don't. People at work, people in the world, they may act like it, but they don't really do it. And if it comes down to it, if it's you or them, it'll be them. They'll choose it every time. It's human nature. And politicians, man, we're in a political season. Oh, they care about everybody, right? Till you get reelected. Because not all of them, but most of them only care about advancing their own power. And they'll care about you as long as you care enough to keep them in power. Well, that's not true love. That's getting out of it what you want out of it. That's why, guess what? You're not getting any the answers you need out of the government, and you won't. You get those from Christ. You know how I know that's true? Because true love motivates us to speak truth, even when it's unpopular. How many politicians want to do that? Not many. Why? Because... It'll sound like you don't love us unless you tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes you need to be told exactly what you don't want to hear in love to be able to change. 
Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become like him in respect, mature in the body. If we want maturity and growth, it's going to take straight talk about love, but also about life and what we're lacking. And we can't be afraid of that. As a preacher, I always appreciated that I could speak the truth here boldly because it came from the word of God. Our church always needs to have that as a part of it. Commitment to loving people and all people and speaking the truth. And guess what? There's going to be some persecution. It's coming. It's coming right here. You keep speaking the truth boldly in love, you will be persecuted. I know that's going to happen. So be ready for it. Are you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Number three, community through close relationship. Now, let's be honest. We're sitting in a room here with, you know, well over a thousand people in it. There's no way twice a week we can come together and get the sort of close relationship we're talking about just here. The, ra- the reason I know that's true is because right here in this place as a teenager, I came and I sat and I sang songs as a group together like our group does. But I, inside, I was, as the Bible describes, it was dead man's bones. And nobody knew except for the one guy that was doing it with me. Nobody knew. It looked like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. Can you fool 1,400 people every week, twice a week? You can do it. Because you don't have a close relationship in a way where someone knows about your life. You can't do it just in the big assembly. Therefore, groups have always been a way to build that closeness. And that came about here in terms of a big way in the early 90s. We cranked up our care groups and later became house churches. And we see it now all over the place in step studies and support groups and heartfelt and grief share and re-engage and Bible study. All those small groups there to design to build community among believers. The one thing that has suffered, and partly because we have so much small group involvement, has been our house churches. And that's one of the reasons why, as a leadership, we want to recast that vision. And we need more house churches. You know why? Because all those small groups I just mentioned, we have to way to connect and assimilate them into the body, the greater body of Christ. Because what happens when you get out of step study? I mean, it's a great blessing to your life, but you still got to connect and grow and be discipled and transform further than this that first year. Or if you're in a heartfelt group and all of a sudden you know so much more about how to be a great mom and a great wife. But what's that going to mean beyond that one year? So we need house churches to be able to do that. Tonight at 5 p.m., I'm going to lay it right out for you. Right across the parking lot at the Howard Center. We're going to be talking about leadership and leadership training. If you're currently leading a group, we want you to be there. So we can talk about the new things that we're going to implement beginning in 2016. If you've never been in a group but want to know about them, come tonight. If you've been thinking about leading a group or opening up your home, come tonight. We're going to get together two times before our big launch in January the 10th to launch our house churches. We need to continue that vision forward. And you know why we need it now more than ever? You know one of the greatest things that's being lost in our culture this very day is the, is the ancient idea of hospitality. It's being lost in our homes. You know why? Because we're fast-paced, we're out, we're, families are split apart, and they don't have time for this, that, and the other. And so people aren't using their homes much for hospitality anymore. Churches will use more than the culture, but the culture doesn't even know about it. you got people living in neighborhoods all around one another that never have even met the people that live up and down their street. It's being lost. Mike and I were talking about it this week, and Marcus Luttrell, who was the lone survivor, you realize that he wouldn't even be a survivor if it wouldn't have been for hospitality. 
because some tribal family up in the hills of Afghanistan believed so much in hospitality, they took him in, injured, and fought off the Taliban to save his life. Why? Because of hospitality. You don't believe it's not powerful? I don't want the people in Afghanistan doing it more than I'm doing it. Do you? God has called us to something. Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 12, practice hospitality? Didn't the Hebrew writer say, show hospitality to strangers? You may not even know if it's an angel that's coming to see you. And then Peter had to go and say in 1 Peter 4, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, my goodness. It's one thing to challenge me to do it. I can't even gripe about it after I do it. No. Hospitality. I can't be too busy to do what God asked me to do. Can you? I can't be too self-centered and into my own family that I don't have time to do what God has called me to do. I can't be too up against it. Well, Brother Allen, if you just knew the place I live, this is not really fit for hospitality. Yes, it is. Because I can guarantee you somebody is worse off than you are and would love to come to your home. Hospitality comes through this concept of community and close relationship. Let me get to number three or we'll never get through. Not only the Great Commission and the greater community, but also the greatest commands. Matthew chapter twenty-two, thirty-six. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Of course, this is the worship element of our worship family and rescue as we love god and love others and share jesus you see law no longer is the goal for pleasing god in the minds of his people it's not about law anymore it's about committing our hearts to him and helping others do the same thing very simple very straightforward he wants us to pledge our heart our conscience and our will to him And then he said, I have prepared works for you to do in advance. Now get to it. And for that to happen, these greatest commands are going to have to be a part of our lives. What's our vision for White's Ferry Road? First of all, we want to honor and worship God in everything we do. Everything. You know how I want to live? I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice by not conforming to the pattern of this world, but by being transformed in the renewing of my mind. That's 24-7, that's 365 days a year. There is no vacation, no time off, and no time out from doing the right thing. Well, you know, I'm going to get myself together one of these days. No, you need to do it today. Because God needs the glory that will come from your life. No breaks. Number two, I need to speak the truth and love to everyone. Don't be silent. Our vision is that all of us will be speaking God's word in love, in truth, to other people. And let me just tell you, if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to know how to speak that truth. So that's going to be up to us to be able to provide that sort of learning. That was a part of our lives. That's what changed our lives. The reason Jason and I went to the school of preaching, we didn't know. I mean, I have to keep on working here. But what I learned from God's Word was far more important than an ability to preach. It was an ability to transform my life for the rest of it and to help others do the same. Church, here's our vision. We will be unwavering in our commitment to the sharing of the gospel of Christ and the response to it. If you believe that and want to be a part of that, would you say amen? Amen. 
We will be unwavering in our commitment to living our lives according to the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that and want to do that with us, would you say amen? Amen. We will be unwavering in our commitment to fight our true enemy, the devil, as he continues to gain momentum in our crumbling culture. Do you believe that and want to be a part of that with us? Say amen. Amen. I'm tired of fighting other believers. I'm not going to do it anymore. I grew up learning the Word of God, learning how to use it as a sword, and I used it many times to parse this and part that and fight that group down the street and worry what they were doing and the same group of people over here, and I wasted so much time, and the culture began to fall apart all around me. Churches have done it all over this country. It's time for us to band together in Christ to get the gospel news out and the gospel story out. we got to do it. Now, look. We have different traditions and different heritages and different backgrounds, and so do we, and I love that. I'm not saying we throw all that out. I'm just saying we have to coalesce around the good news of Christ. Our culture is crumbling, and it's up to us to share the message. i got close with two quotes from two great men. First is Abraham Lincoln, who said, It's not important who my ancestors were, but it's far more important who my grandchildren become. I mean, we can look back all we want. But when we start to look forward, we say, what's our legacy going to be like? What's it going to be like here, White's Ferry Road or White's Ferry Road University or White's Ferry Road, and hopefully there's 40 more all around the world. What's it going to look like for them in 30 years when all of us are dead leaders except for Bill Smith, who apparently cannot die? What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like to them as they plan and dream for that next 30 years? Because that's what I want to speak to even this day, and lay that heritage and legacy for them. And then, of course, there's the great optimist, Carl Allison. He used to say, the best is yet to come. And I mean, he always did it with a smile and a twinkle in his eye because you know what? That man was an optimist. And what he said was he knew the best was coming. And guess what? Now he's enjoying the beginning of that reward, and we reunite with bodies. It's really going to be the best. But he knew that for us, too. I mean, that man trained so many of us and taught so many of us. And here we are carrying the legacy forward. I appreciate our heritage. I want to learn from our past. But I want to look forward to eternity. I want to look forward to our reward and how we can help people in this life. We're going to need all of you. Our leadership is excited. Not only about 2016 and 2017, but the next 30 years. But there's something we need out of you, church. We need you on board. We've got to be going forward. We can't be fighting with one another. We can't be scrapping over scraps. We've got to go forward. We need you to entrust your heart, conscience, and will to God through Christ so you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. That's what we need, first and foremost. If you're living in such a way that damages our witness, you're hurting what we're trying to accomplish. Stop that. Please stop that. The Bible says repent, change, get on board. Don't have a lifestyle that looks like the world and the devil. Have one that looks like where we're headed. Entrust your heart and conscience and will to him. Number two, we need to entrust our allegiance to our leadership. Look, I've been here a long time, 41 years. I have served under a lot of different elderships and elders and leaders. I entrusted my heart to them because God told me to. Because he said, I give them the vision to lead you. Now I'm one of those guys. 
And so I'm asking you to do what I have done. Trust your leadership. We have a God-given vision for the next 30 years and beyond when God raises up more. We need you to entrust your heart and your allegiance. And finally, entrust your effort to help us love God, love others, and share Jesus. That's our mission. We want you on board. If you're not a Christian today, that's the first place you can start. As a new son or daughter of God, when you believe that Jesus came to this earth, died for you, on that cross, was raised for you to live again, is at the right hand of the Father for you, mediating for your sin, he's coming back for you. You believe that with all of your heart. Commit to change and commit to living for him. And be baptized to reenact that same gospel message. The Holy Spirit of God will live in you. And then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll be open to transformation in a way you could never imagine. If you've never done it, today's your day. That's how you start your look forward. Or, as I said, if you've lost your way and you're not being a witness for Christ, today's the day to do a U-turn. Repent means change, which means turn, which means we go forward. If you have any other need, prayer need, whatever, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?